Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is Bless Your Boys Podcast 86, recorded Friday, September 13th, 2013. I feel bad for the hot dog man. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Bless You Boys podcast, where the editorial staff of Bless You Boys kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm Al Beaton, your host, co-managing editor of the site. Every week I get together with uh, a couple of knuckleheads. You know, we tried we try not to be a morning zoo, but sometimes we can't help ourselves. You know, we've thrown around a couple of nicknames, but uh, we're, we're decided not to go there. So we're just going to go with the standard. First off is Hook Slide, uh, as you know from uh, numerous well-researched posts on the site along with the occasional humor. People might think they're both humorous. I don't know. <laughs> but regardless of that, welcome back to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Indeed. And of course, we have Kurt Menching, who is managing editor of Bless You Boys, a columnist for the Detroit News, uh, one of the grand poobahs at Bless You, uh, I'm sorry, at SB Nation, and hell, I don't know, he could have his fingers in several other different pies. And obviously a Probably one of the most well-known youpers on the internet. Kurt, how you doing? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> no, uh, I just just so people know, I'm the turd. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I feel like everyone would be missing out if they didn't get at least one uh, morning zoo nickname out of you. So yeah, well, we were, we threw around uh, Al Hookslide and the Grump or Doug Grump, but. Uh, uh, we've also tossed around uh, Al Hookslide and the Turd, so I'll let you, we'll let you guys uh, opine on that in the show notes. So, <laughs> regardless of all that, if you want to uh, let us know about these kind of things, uh, if you're or if you're offended by us calling Kurt the Turd, uh, you can email us at bybtigers at gmail dot com, bybpodcast at gmail dot com. Also, let us know on the Twitters at Bless You Boys and on the Facebook. Facebook.com slash BYB.Tigers. Well, baseball. Things are were scary or ugly or doomy, and then things seem to be very uh, all happiness and light again, all in the extent of a couple days. On Monday, the Tigers dropped the first game of their three-game series in Chicago, and their lead dropped to the lowest it had been in a, oh, probably over a month. I think the lowest it had been is four games in early August. It dropped to four and a half on Monday, and you would have thought the season had ended and the Tigers were not going to miss, uh, make the playoffs. It was doom all over again. Uh, the fan base, a lot of the fan base, you should say, and certain media trolls really went heavy into this. What's wrong with the Tigers? Are, are they going to collapse? We're, you know, essentially doom mode. So, I don't know about you, Hook Slide, but 
were you worried at all when it dropped the four and a half games? I was just more pissed off. I had to cover some crappy baseball for a few days. Uh, I'll admit it. There, there was a moment there where I got a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I went all full doom and gloom, but um, you can't almost avoid, you know, the comparisons to the 2009 collapse uh, because going into game 145, as they were on uh, Tuesday, I guess it would have been, um, there were some similarities. Uh, in both cases, the Tigers of 2009 and of 2013 were four and a half games uh, ahead of their respective competitors, the Twins in 2009 and the Indians in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so I started running a couple numbers and saying, okay, how likely is it? You talked about this last week, Al, you know, saying, or, or two weeks ago, saying that it wasn't so much that the Tigers collapsed as it was that the Twins played, I think you said, out of their minds. Yeah. And so I looked at the at the numbers and what it would take, and uh, to, to have a repeat of that, the Tigers would have to go and play a dead even 500 ball, you know, for the next 18 games from that point, and the Indians would have to play 775 ball. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's that's a little bit crazy. But then I started looking at who the Indians had coming up and what their win records were against their opponents, and guess what? It's it's close to 700, <laughs> and the Tigers' record versus their upcoming opponents is like five. 30, and I thought, okay, we're getting close. We're getting close to the right numbers. Is it going to happen? Eh. I, I was curious. I don't know if I was freaking out, but I, I kind of thought, well, that would be interesting. The, the one the one thing that kept me sane was thinking, well, if they did get to a game 163 like they did in 09, mm-hmm. they have to face the, the Indians, and they're 15-4 <laughs> against the Indians this yeah. year. So, I, it, it, yeah, I was a, maybe a little nervous for it for a little bit, but, but not – I wasn't jumping off the, the ledges yet. Yeah, uh, Kurt, I know you probably got uh, – you get a little bit of this, especially writing for the news, that there really does seem to be – at the slightest hint of adversity, it seems like there's a segment of the fan base that's ready to jump off the bandwagon uh, you know, or get on and off at almost a moment's notice. It, then, uh, it's one thing to be upset at how they're playing. It's another thing to all of a sudden start, well, making out like this team is awful – uh, you know, because of a bad stretch of games. It's one of those things where they, they're not as good as they were. Uh, a team, This team isn't as good as they were in August when they were beating everybody and had that 17-2 and two stretch. But they're not as bad as the team that got wiped out in a few games here. So uh, I, I know it's all fandom, but, you know, I, I mean, I get emails from people telling us we're too uh, – we are uh, too optimistic over the Tigers' chances, if you can believe it. I can believe it because <laughs> there's too many pessimists out there. And I, I, I said this on your other show mm. years ago, Al. I said mm. I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I'm a realist. Yeah. And being realistic here, this division has been, well, it's been wrapped up since last March, really. You know, <laughs> this, this is this is just it's nothing. It's just a nothing to worry about. I mean. You know, if this was a bad team or if this team was was flawed up and down, I would say so, and you would say so, and people would say so. But yeah. it's not a flawed team. It's not a bad team. It's a really good team. They just had a stretch of a week of not playing good baseball. Well, that happens to every single team in baseball. It doesn't matter if they got the best record in the game or the worst. Every team is going to have a good stretch and a bad stretch. Well, you know, the Tigers had a bad stretch to open September. So what? You know, mm-hmm. this, uh, I was, I could, I 
I, I threw my panic button out the window years ago. I, I couldn't find it, so I just decided I'd knock on wood and move on. Yeah, well, I would have thought Donner would be using it as a chew toy or something, but... <laughs> he's, he's got a big red ball. It's, it's like the size of a basketball, and he uses it to exercise his jaw. He would scare the crap out of a burglar. I should, I should put you a video on the Internet. No one will get near the house. Yeah, you know, yeah, really, you know, let's not get into a gun control debate, but if everybody had a Donner, I don't think any, any household would need anything like that. Uh, regardless yeah. of all that, uh, the lead is, as we're recording this, we're recording this on Friday afternoon before the Tigers start their uh, most series, their final series, thank God, of the, uh, uh, with the Royals this season. Uh, their lead stands at six games right now. And everybody seemed to calm down after the, uh, after the Tigers, oh, Took two games from Chicago. They end up with a winning series, and the road trip ended up okay at four and five. So it, it all ended up being kind of a serviceable road trip, and, it, and it, you know, it all all was fairly well. No, uh, maybe not rainbows and unicorns as much as I'd like. Well, it may be close, but the magic number I think is what people need to watch, and there, it's eleven with sixteen games to go. And what and a hook side. I know you you were saying how well the the, how bad the schedule is, uh, you know, when you compare the two, you know, how the Indians are really should play very, very well over the next couple of weeks. But the Tigers do have a 10-game homestand, and they play over 600 ball. They play 620 at home. These 10 games, really, they could, if they play up to their capabilities, they should be able to end the division, essentially end it this week, don't you think? I think there's a really good chance of that. Uh, I mean, I look at who, who's coming up, you know, in the in the remaining games, and you know, we got that that series with the Royals and the White Sox. I think that that might have been part of what led to some of the, you know, yes, the Royals. Good point. Yeah, the 2009 comparisons, you know, like because when you look at the the way the Indians are treating the Royals and the White Sox, they're absolutely destroying them. Mm-hmm. The way that I think some people feel, hey, the Tigers should be doing that. They're actually not beating up on the Royals at all. They're playing sub 500 ball, and with the White Sox, it's it's over 500, but not by too much. Yeah, I think they're like nine and. Uh, well, I can look it up right now. There's ten and six. So ten and not, six. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's not bad, but you know the Indians yeah. were doing a better job with those with those guys. But you, then we got that series with the I think it's the Marlins, right? Yeah, it ends the season coming up, and so yeah, this could be over very very quickly if if they can just take you know a couple of games from the Royals, a couple of games from the White Sox. This, this should be over really quick. Yeah, and you, uh, Kurt, when I look at the upcoming schedule over the next couple of weeks, uh, it's the Royals. Uh, obviously, that's one that's one that puts the fear in everybody because they just seen the Evan Tigers number. But if you look at the rest of their schedule, it's pretty much as easy as the Indians. They got uh, the Mariners, they got the White Sox at home, and then it's uh, the Twins and the Marlins. I mean, there's not a first division team in the bunch. So th- really, this the Tigers should end it. Within the next ten days, don't you think? Oh, sure, sure. Magic number would be eleven, and and that's good. Well, uh, you know, I would expect it to be wrapped up. You know, I'll I'll go out on a limb here and make prediction. Carry the one <laughs> on, on Thursday. That's really? my prediction. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, I I I you know the the Mariners might be able to give them a few issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I guess last I saw. They were going to miss uh, King Felix, but right. and that's good. But you know, I, I think the Mariners, you know, gave them a few issues out in Seattle. That was a long time ago. But so I'm, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, easy, you know, sweep this, sweep that. But yeah, it's, like you said, it's, it's a schedule, and and I think last year 
year about this time when the schedules came out, and we said, well, you know, if the Tigers in a close division, hey, they finished with Miami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's a good sign. So, uh, yeah, it, but it, it, it's going to be wrapped up way before Miami. Yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be seeing a a divisional a celebration, you know, in the next week and a half or so. So, but. Yeah, especially look at the schedule, people, and you'll feel much better about the Tigers closing out this division before the final weekend on the road in Miami, which kind of leads us to that's when Johnny Peralta will be eligible to rejoin the Tigers. And this week, the Tigers announced that Johnny Peralta would be welcomed back to the team to work out, uh, and he is doing that. And by, uh, by the rules of suspension, he has to believe leave when they open the gates up for fans. And, but he's been working out with the team. The Tigers, uh, specifically Dave Dabrowski, still will not say if Kowalta will be on the playoff roster. And, but he did say that they would be, reportedly work out Peralta as both an infielder and an outfielder, which was kind of interesting. At least take fly balls. So this begs several questions. I know we talked about this last week, and obviously I'm getting the feeling now my gut feeling last week was completely wrong when I said I thought he was done as a Tiger. So I'll, I'll just go through these questions and uh, kind of roundtable it. So, uh, Kurt, I'll start with you. This announcement that Peralta has rejoined the Tigers and is working out with them now, does this pretty much assure Peralta is going to be on the playoff roster? No. Really? No. Uh, you know, I think this is uh, I, I, actually, you know, as far as my reading of this, I think this is almost part of the CBA that they had to give him a chance. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean they have to put him on the playoff roster. It just means they, they have to. And being smart, even if they didn't have to, it's just intelligent to, to take a look and see if he can help you or not. So, But that, that there's no guarantee that he can help you. So we'll see. Uh, Hookfly, what's your take on this? Uh, that Peralta's back working out with the Tigers. Uh, do you think this assures Peralta will be on the playoff roster? Or is there still a uh, several questions to be answered? This does not assure that he'll be on the roster. Um, by the way, is this the first time he's ever worked out, period, with them? I, I don't know. Uh, no, I, I think they're doing the smart thing, like Kurt said. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to see what he's capable of after being away for 50 days. Um, but that's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. That you know that he's automatically on the roster. If he can help him, I, I think he will be. But and I'm sure we'll get to this you know a little bit later. But I, I find it more interesting to hear uh, Dombrowski's quote was uh, something to the effect of, you know, we're obligated. Mm-hmm. Um, he used the word obligated, right? Uh, to bring him, you know, at least give him the shot. And I thought oh, that's interesting because that tells me they're looking at this from a baseball standpoint, not a not a morality standpoint. Because they want to see what he's capable of doing, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> from a baseball standpoint. Well, I guess that kind of, well, just kind of begs the question, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, it, this is like, you know, like, take it like he's been on the uh, disabled list for two months. And, I, you know, I think, I don't think we're all questioning the point that he'd be, he'd be rejoining the roster. So, uh, Kurt, what about, you know, with that toy, you know, what, you know, what's the difference between this and him just being on the, dis- uh, on the disabled list then? Well, you know, from a baseball standpoint, nothing. Obviously, you know, if you get into the, you know, the ethical or the morality standpoint, completely different. But from a baseball standpoint, maybe a little bit different because, you know, he, if he were on the disabled list for 50, 50 days, then he'd, he'd be recovering from something. And he, mm-hmm. he was, we know that when he, when he hit the suspension list, he was playing pretty good baseball that Sunday. So mm-hmm. we, you know, it, it's different from that standpoint, but, in the, in the idea that you're rusty after 50 days off, that's definitely the same. 
All right. Well, before we get into the uh, what could happen, well, we brought up the morality part of it, and let's uh, talk about that. Uh, Huxley, I know you you kind of uh, approached the subject here. Uh, there's a lot. There's kind of a schism in the fan base, you know, with the versus the I want the Tigers to win, and there's a lot. There's a lot of if you want to go into the morality part of it, you know, think about Gates Brown and Brian Lafleur were felons, for example. Or there, you know, there's teams that have guys on their roster who have well committed pretty heinous crimes at one time or another. Uh, all Johnny Peralta did was well, he broke some rules when it comes down to it. So. But so, so you got that schism between people say you can't have a cheater, and the other guys say it's baseball, it's a business, and the business is winning. So uh, it doesn't look like the Tigers are taking the morality into this at all. So uh, where do you fall on this morality thing? Now you're asking me to get on my soapbox. You, hey, that's what <laughs> Just, we're here for. <laughs> you're really asking for it now because I tell you, of all the issues, there were two issues this week. It was the whole thing with the ump show, you know, and Cabrera getting tossed. But then uh, this issue with Peralta coming back that just got me really hot this mm-hmm. last week. And uh, I, I made the mistake of listening to a sports talk show a couple of days ago and heard a caller call in and say she actually used the, the words, what does this send, what message does this send to our kids? Ah, the, the children card, yes. And I just went, you've got to be kidding me. Because I, I think it sends a far worse message to the kids to tell them if you get in trouble and you get caught and you serve your time, you still don't get a second chance. That's a horrible message. And don't even, yeah, you, you, now you got me going. Because <laughs> what message are we sending the kids? I've been joking about this on Twitter all week and saying, well, I don't know, if you sat through an MLB game and watched the, uh, the uh, commercials that get played throughout the games, what message is the MLB sending? Well, so far I can tell it's, you know, drink a lot of beer, take Viagra. Hire an injury lawyer. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I get I get tired of of watching Saturday games with my kids. You know, I've got young kids, and I get tired of being asked, "Dad, what's erectile dysfunction?" You know, <laughs> like, come on, don't don't even get me started on this. Bring the kids into it. No, give the guy a second chance. He he did something wrong, yes, but he also served the time. Yeah. So let's let's just stop it with this. Yeah, yeah. That's my take on the whole thing. Is that there is a prescribed punishment laid out for Peralta or anybody else who got caught up in this biogenesis suite. And that, and that's the thing. People seem to be so mortally offended by this that, uh, you know, they want to continue to punish Peralta and by that, and by that extent, possibly hurt the Tigers chances of doing what they all, what we all want us to do is uh, win a world series by, you know, putting the scarlet S on his uh, chest essentially. So, uh, that, you know, you know, I would hate to see what would happen today if Ron LaFleur, like it happened in the, in the 70s, it was just a nice story. They made a TV movie out of the damn story, for Christ's sake. Today, if Ron LaFleur left Jackson Prison, joined the Detroit Tigers, the Internet would explode. And I and there would be, again, they would play What About the Children card, amongst other things. So. Uh, well, or, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, just to, because I want to address that whole that whole thing about you know, but he's a cheater because I feel like what people are saying when they're saying that well, he's a cheater and this would be a tainted World Series if he gets on the roster and, and they go on to win. Mm-hmm. I really feel like what people are are almost forgetting is that as far as we know, he's not juicing right now. Yeah, it's not as though the Tigers are getting you know a, a tainted advantage in bringing him back. For all we know, he did whatever he did, and we still don't even know what that is. But if he took those pills or whatever, you know, that was back in 2012. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my two cents. 
Kurt, your, what's your take on uh, on the morality side of bringing back Johnny Peralta? No, uh, I, I get the impression there's, there are people out there who really think these guys who got swept up in the biogenesis uh, controversy are evil incarnate. You know, uh, Mr. Slide here took away pretty much every single talking point I had. <laughs> well, why do we even need you on this podcast? I, I, you know? really, I really don't know. <laughs> for the half percent. Yeah. I, for, the, for the impressions, I guess. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, you know, we don't know what he did. We don't know if he did. Yeah. We don't know when he did. We just know his name was on a list and he says he made a mistake. That's all we know. If he says he made a mistake, you know, let's assume, yes, he did. He is, in fact, guilty of something. So he, he admits to it. So that that's as much as we have. We don't know anything more than that. It sounds like it probably happened during the off season, heading into last season. So if anything, last year's World Series is tainted, you know. Because uh, that's a lot closer to the event to bring him back now. To say, oh, the World Series is tainted because he was suspended. That, to me, that's ridiculous. It, it's just ridiculous. And on top of it, you know, again, as, as Mr. Mr. Slide has, has spoken, you can really have differing opinions on on PEDs. Period. You know, right. there's, there's they're not. It's not one size fits all. You know, it's not. Oh, I got stuck with a, a needle in the butt, and now I got big muscles. You know that. Human growth hormone. You, you tell me the difference between that and a steroid, or you know, or even a steroid to recover from an injury. And I, you know, I like to bring up the, the kid from Georgia who, uh, who, who had shoulder surgery, and, and his doctor used a steroid to help him recover. And the NCAA banned the kid for steroids. I mean, that's that's I'm you know I'm going to try and watch my language for our, our listeners. That's blank ridiculous. It, it, it's just utterly ridiculous. To, to say, oh, all steroids are bad. Well, clearly all steroids are not bad. Doctors are using them. So it it it, it just it, it it's annoying and it's, it's, a, it's a stupid, lazy argument for anyone who says, oh, what message do we send to the kids? You know, when I posted my opinion on PEDs back in July, and that was one of the first comments, mm-hmm. I had to pretty much step away from the entire thread before I told somebody off. So that's, that's just how, uh, you know, Raged, I get over this entire thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh I, I'm like I said, we're all in total agreement about this, and uh, you know, you know, uh, and a personal antidote, you know, I have, I do, I have known someone who uh, who has gotten trouble with the law, served time in prison, and to start equating some of the things that he did, that you know, he has, and he has paid his price, and he is still suffering for what he's done by uh, having that stigma and trying to get his life restarted. Uh, no, to equate Johnny Peralta to you know, to people who have broken actual laws, it's two different things. No, it's just uh, you know I, that when you start playing for the Ford Children card or the integrity of the game card, it's all bullshit. You know, uh, it, it, there's too much of this in all walks of life: politics, sports, science, religion, whatever. That everything there's it's this or that, either or, black or white. And like this, like everything else, is kind of caught up in that gray area that no one wants to talk about. Yeah, All right, with, about yeah. some, some horrible comparisons. I, a certain well-known uh, radio host, whose name I will not mention, actually. A big, a big host, I hear. A large one uh, actually used the line. He said, uh, 
comparing Peralta and what he did to some other things, he said Leland would would start Hannibal Lecter if he thought it would help the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous because, first of all, Johnny Peralta would never pair up Baba Beans with a Chianti. <laughs> uh, so it's a bad comparison anyway. But I guess the thing that just really torques me is the is the people that are saying, you know, well, you're you're just justifying this because you want the World Series. I'm like, oh, that's that's infuriating. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, yeah, we'll let that uh, the uh, that uh, oh uh, yeah, we don't want to, we we don't want to encourage people to listen to this guy, but he's a big thing on the on the outstate stations, not in Southeast Michigan. I thought I thought Jim Leland never played his best night. <laughs> now he's going to start Hannibal Lecter. Which yeah. is it? Which well, you know, it? yeah, you know, that reminds me of a comment I saw today somewhere where someone said, uh, "Oh, it's about Miguel Cabrera, who we'll talk about in a little bit." You know, saying that you know about he's he's having a, a rough September. Well, and then I saw someone write a, a quote like, "Well, that's because uh, Jim Leland treats all his uh, his favorites and the guys in the bench. He he rests them all the time, and he should be resting." I was like, "Okay, so you're saying let's bench your best players." So you can play your worst players more. You know, when you start getting into this convoluted logic of all this kind of crap, we all get pissed off and we all need to move on. <laughs> so um, let's get back to the baseball part of it. I need a drink. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, with this, with this word about Peralta possibly at least being checked out at a position he likely hasn't played since a kid. Uh, are the Tigers serious about this, or is this just more of a precautionary thing? If he's going to be a bench player. Uh, and needs to be a utility man, and there might be a situation where this might come into play. Let's see how he handles it. Because a lot of people, I think, Kurt, have seen this and said, oh, yes, he's going to play left field. It, I, you know, it, maybe he can, maybe he can't. I, you know, I, I, ha- I had this question asked to me yesterday, and, and how do I answer that? I haven't seen him play left field. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe, maybe it will help the team, or maybe it would hurt the team. That's, that's up for the people actually watching Johnny Peralta to figure out. Hookslide, what's your take on this? Do you think this is just one of those, uh, if he's going to be on the bench, and who knows, you might have to make a double switch in the World Series, or we may have to do some convoluted uh, maneuvering positions. Let's make sure we might have an extra place to put Peralta. Or this is not, we're benching Andy Dirks, right? I highly doubt that. Because uh, people haven't looked, if you haven't looked at Andy Dirks' numbers, he's having a great second half. Right. And, you know, that would take away Leland's ability to do his, you know, lefty-righty matchups that he likes to do. Um, can can Peralta play in left field? My my instinct is saying, you know, having seen his range or lack thereof yeah. at shortstop, you're, you're probably better off putting Al Kaline's statue, pulling it down and putting it in left field and just praying to God they hit the ball right at it. So I don't know about him in left field. But on the other hand, um you know how how much damage can he really do out there, and can the bat? That that's the real question: is yeah. can his bat make up for whatever uh, defensive miscues there might be if he were to play left field for one inning or whatever? But I think it just gives them better depth to say, you know, we can put him out there maybe for an inning or two, or he could uh, squeeze in at third base if need be if Cabrera is still you know hurting or or whatever. It's just it's a depth question. Yeah, and and when it all comes down to it, realistically, if uh, if Peralta comes back and he ends up on the playoff roster, he, yeah, he's going to back up. Third base and shortstop, pure and simple. Uh, Kurt, who do you think should be worried about being left off the playoff roster at this point? And you know, for, if they do add Peralta, or for that matter, they make some other moves. Well, you know, Hernan Perez isn't exactly impressing anyone, so that would be a good. And option. he hasn't played much at all since he's got since the uh, roster's expanded anyway. 
Right. So, you know, uh, Perez, there are two assets so far. Those would be the two to worry about right now. Yeah. What about you, Hookslide? Uh, who do you think should be uh, worried about being left off the roster? It, it, those two seem to be, what Kurt, the two players Kurt mentioned, seem to be the common ones. But you think there could be a possibility that they don't need some of these relievers because Purcell is going to the bullpen? Uh, I thought about that. It was my first probably instinct was, you know, what about guys like Bonderman? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, just looking at the active roster, uh, as far as I can tell, Danny Worth is still on the roster. So uh, he might be on the chopping block. So is uh, Brian Holiday. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm inclined to guess that it's going to be one of these guys, Danny Worth, Hernan Perez, Holiday, two yeses. So one of those guys will go, I think, before Leland gives up his uh, – you know, gives up any depth in the bullpen. Yeah, and keep in mind, people, it will not be Don Kelly or Ramon Santiago. I think we're almost 100% assured of that. So that's just, you know, the Kelly is because he can play so many positions, and Santiago just because, well, uh, he's Santiago. <laughs> he's been there all season. And that's going to be one of those things where it, uh, you know, some of these guys you think need to be left off the roster won't be because of reasons we'll probably never know. So regardless of all that, mm-hmm. Let's get off the Peralta, morality, that kind of crap, and let's actually talk about some baseball stuff, such as Annabel Sanchez and Max Scherzer. There's been a kind of a, a rumbling, a growing, uh, well, feeling that Annabel Sanchez is, is getting some love in the Cy Young talk. Uh, Scherzer's had a rough patch. He's, right now he's 19-3, and three, but in his ERA is back over three. And he's in his last three starts, he's got an ERA over six, and he's 0-2. He still hasn't got that 20 win, the 20th win. Now, meanwhile, Sanchez has been awesome pretty much all year long. He's 14-7 and now, so his win-loss record is starting to look a little more impressive for those voters. And, he, of course, he's leading the AL with a 250 ERA. And you know, if you look at his second-half stats, uh, Sanchez has been absolutely lights out. So he's starting to gain steam as a, as a Cy Young candidate. Uh, obviously, both have been great, but Sanchez has really, if you look at a lot of the numbers, he has e- either equaled or outpitched Scherzer, you know, in both standard and advanced metrics in the second half and for a good part of the season. Uh, Scherzer was once thought a lock for the Cy Young curve. Uh, do you think his next few starts are going to tip the scale either way at this point? And for that matter, uh, could Sanchez bum rush his way to the top? Well, I mean, I think Scherzer can't finish the last month of the season either constantly on down notes, or he might actually pitch himself out of it. But, uh, you know, I, I considered Sanchez uh, and Scherzer both in, in a column for the news a couple of weeks ago, and, and my conclusion was basically that they're both great, but Scherzer actually was a little bit better. You know, he pitched deeper into games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was around the whole season. You know, Sanchez hit Yale for a period. So I, I think that the fact that Scherzer was going so deep into games and and pitching like machines so often, I, I thought tipped the scale in his favor, and, and I still feel that way. It, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, again, if he if he trips up during the last month of the season, he's an open door. It, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be Annabelle who wins this Cy Young. It could oh, be. Oh yeah, of course. Know, yeah, Woo Darvish. There, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah so, There's a lot of yeah. candidates, legit candidates. So, it's just that he was running away from the pack, and here in the final 100 yards, he's slowing down, and they're, they're starting to catch up to him. So he just has to give that one last push, or someone's going to pass him, but who knows who. Yeah. Uh, slide. what's your take on the uh, on this, uh, San- one, Sanchez's possibilities of 
getting himself up in the Cy Young Award talk. And Max Scherzer, who was once thought to be a lock, and such a lock that in the odds that we get from Vegas occasionally, they email us uh, so we can well, <laughs> maybe talk about their site when we post those odds. They actually, in their last email, said, uh, nothing's changed. The odds are Scherzer's a lock. Do you think that's still true, or do you think Scherzer could be pitching himself out of the side young? Well, just like Kurt said, it, it, those last couple starts are going to matter, I think, because um, you don't want to end on a down note. And I, I think it's going to help his case immensely if he does manage to cross that, uh, you know, that line of 20 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question I, I guess I have, because I, I meant to look this up and I forgot to before this podcast, but I know Sanchez missed, what, like three or four of his starts right. uh, due to the injury. But, uh, he's, is he still even qualified? Or is there a minimum number of starts, uh, I'm asking? Well, he, he, if he's eligible for the EALERA title, that's, that pretty much uh, answers your question right there. Okay, so so he, he could still be. All right. Well, then, yeah, I, I, I'd still say it, it really does depend on how these next, you know, three or four starts go down with, with uh, Scherzer and Sanchez. They're both doing an extremely good job, though. I mean, you could say Scherzer seems to have struggled in the last couple of starts, but looking at, like, the 10-game range, the last 10 starts, they're both doing extremely, extremely well. Sanchez has kept his ERA down to two mm-hmm. in his last 10 starts. Uh, but, you know, as far as, as Scherzer goes, uh, opposing hitters are still only hitting 186 against him in his last 10 so I mean they're they're both still very much in the running. I, it, mm-hmm. I guess my my final comment would be that if anyone's going to surpass Scherzer for the Cy Young, I guess I'd be looking more at uh, King Felix than yeah. He seemed to be the, the one that was closest in the running next to Scherzer. I I'd love to see Sanchez get in the mix there, but I don't know if, if that's going to happen. Yeah, well I guess the thing is uh, I, at this point I don't see Sanchez winning the Cy Young, but he is definitely going to get votes and he'll end up in the. Uh, he will be mentioned anyway, but yeah, if if it's not Serger, it's likely going to be someone like Darvish Sale or uh, you know the usual candidates who have been discussed all season. So, but it's going to be fun to watch the awards uh, uh, the awards cases as they get played out over the next couple of weeks because for a long time there it really looked like the Tigers were going to sweep them, and that kind of leads us to Miguel Cabrera who is still injured and he's now slumping. Uh, the cornerstone of the Tigers' offense has, well, just three singles in September. Wasn't much because he hasn't played. He missed a, a, a pretty much an entire week of baseball due to the injuries. Uh, Kurt, should we be worried about Cabrera at this point? Have the injuries built up to a point where he just needs to sit, period? Well, I did see that in a recent column, and I stand by that, that uh, you, you have to make sure you, you have to make sure he's healthy when you get to the to the postseason. That's really what counts. And, yeah. and like we said earlier, the Tigers have all but locked it up. So, you know, if rest is going to help, rest him. Or if rest is going to help my psyche, rest him. You know, I, I don't know if, if there's anything that can be done at this point, but every game he plays is an opportunity to get injured. So I suppose minimizing those is really what I'm hoping for. Any concerns with uh, Cabrera uh, right now, Hooks like, cause, uh, or is it just what it's just – Occasionally, he will have patches like this. We get so spoiled by Cabrera that when he goes into one of these, you know, slumps that may last a week or two, we, <laughs> you know, we're like, oh, my God, what's the matter with him? When, again, you, you could say it's just baseball. It could be just baseball. It could be the fact that he's still not 100%. I mean, the fact that he's he's in games, he's out of games, he's playing half games, he's getting ejected from games. Uh, I, I feel like he just hasn't had a chance to really sit and play 
you know, a continuous stretch to kind of get that timing back, get, you know, all of those. I, I just, yeah, the, the injury is a concern because it, it feels like it hasn't gone away yet. And the, he can hit the home runs, yes, but outside of hitting home runs, the guy can't get a double to save his life because even if he hits it off the wall, yeah. he's still barely limping into first base. So, yeah, the, that, that's a concern. Yeah, I, I guess the as we mentioned earlier in this podcast is that Tigers take care of business over the next ten days or so. You know, because it's looking like the Triple Crown is pretty much going to be out of reach at this point for Cabrera. So, you know, if if the Tigers can end this or get it to the point where it's essentially a done deal, if it's not already, but you know, maybe they can set him for the final week or something. That's I guess that's best case scenario because an unhealthy Cabrera in the playoffs hurts the Tigers badly. So. Regardless of all that, and Omar Infante is having a great season, you know, despite missing a, a, a significant amount of time with, uh, with the injury he suffered in Toronto, the uh, off-season speculation as to what the Tigers are going to do with Omar Infante has started. Uh, I know, and Kurt wrote about this this week. He's having a career season in the walk year of his contract. He kind of has the Tigers over a barrel because they don't have a legitimate replacement of any sort for Infante, at least not close enough to help the Tigers over the next couple of years. They're not going to find someone in the system right now who can hit 300 and play above average defense at second base. Kurt, I know you wrote about this this week, that the Tigers are kind of, I won't say in a hard spot, but they have some decisions to make, and that uh, a qualifying offer for Omar Infante is going to be $14 million. Uh, the question is, are the Tigers willing to go longer with a contract, you know, say two or three years, at you know for twenty million or something you know and I'm just no I don't know what the numbers are going to be but is there some issues there as to how long you want to keep a middle infielder who is on the bad side of thirty I can see it for a year but do you get a little uncomfortable once you get past a year or two you know I I, I think if I'm if I'm thinking along with Infante he's going to want at least a three or four year deal That's, and, yeah. Yeah. And he's probably going to want, you know, nine to ten million dollars a year. Any, anything less than that would be an insult, given he's a above average second baseman and second baseman are paid decently. So, uh, you know, it, 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 in my mind, it's probably going to take thirty to thirty-six million to to sign him to a multi-year deal. And, you know, it's going to cost fourteen million just to make, you know, to make the qualifying offer. Obviously, it wouldn't cost it if he turned it down, but. Right. It, it, so I don't think there's there's a guarantee that Infante is going to accept it. I, I think it, it would be nice for the Tigers if he did, but he might be able to make more money by by leaving than than taking 14 million now and then signing a, a, a you know a two two or three year deal later. As far as the Tigers go, I think I think they could probably do a three year deal. It, it it might be a little uncomfortable, but given that there's not a lot coming up through the system, it might just be something they have to do. Yeah, Hookslet, are you uh, comfortable with going more than uh, two years, if need be, on Omar Infante, considering he's 31 years old? No, not personally. I mean, it, but to Kurt's point, you know, I, I, I've been here in West Michigan watching the Whitecaps games and, you know, kind of seeing what what we've got in the farm system that might be headed up, and there just aren't really a whole lot of great options, mm -hmm. you know, to put, you know, to bring up in Infante's place. So they obviously, I think they need to to do something to get him on board, you know, for at least a couple of years. But no, I, I think I would be a little nervous if they went much beyond two, three at the out, you know, at the outmost. And you never know. Uh, this could be one of those years where we get surprised, uh, you know, like we did with uh, getting Tory Hunter in the off season last mm -hmm. year. 
you might see, you know, somebody else get get traded over. Um, just probably not Robinson Cano. Yeah, <laughs> that's the name everybody's going to throw out there, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, it, it, the Tigers have been in this spot before when it came to Placido Polanco. And in that case, Kurt, they made the right decision. Now, maybe not in not making the qualifying offer for Polanco because they lost out on, on the uh, – uh, on the on the draft pick, but Polanco went into an immediate decline, and he wasn't that much he, he wasn't that much older than uh, Omar Infante is right now. Is someone being attacked by aliens? That's sure what it sounded like. <laughs> uh, I'm really worried about people, but uh, uh yeah, Polanco. A lot of people still thought that was a mistake. I mean, years later, people still thought that was a mistake, and I don't, I don't. I don't know. It, it, you know, it, it would have been nice if they could have kept him for another year. I'll, I'll say that. But in the long term, yeah, Polanco has really dropped off. He's not the guy that he used to be. And Infante possibly would really drop off. Though I think his body type is a little bit better than Polanco's. I mean, Polanco never looked like the skinniest guy out there. Uh, and, and Infante does appear to be a, a rather svelte fella. Yeah, and and I just brought up Polanco's stats. His last year in Detroit, he actually was started to decline then, but in the in the years since he's left, and he was 33 his last year in Detroit. Polanco's OPS is 6.66. So, Uh-oh. yeah, but uh, and he's his bat went into a severe decline at, at you no know, in in his early you know at 33 you're starting to push middle 30s. I'm getting a little nervous at giving. Omar Infante, anything more than three years max. I, I'm, I'd much prefer two, but I agree with both you guys that I have a feeling on the open market, Infante is going to get overpaid. It's just a matter if the Tigers decide to be the ones to do it. And, and I think Hookslaw might be onto something. Maybe the Tigers may be planning for this contingency by looking for other options in the offseason, specifically making a trade. But I have a feeling uh, this, you know, Omar Infante will be the next Placido Placa one way or the other, and people are going to be split as to what happens. All right, we got to talk about the Ump Show. As uh, I know, Hookslide brought that up earlier, and this seems to be an ongoing issue around Major League Baseball. And the Tigers have had their more than their fair share of run-ins with the Men in Blue. On Monday, home plate umpire Brian Gorman made the correct call on a Cabrera check swing hit by pitch play. Cabrera thought he checked his swing. That call could have gone either way. It didn't go his way. He was called a strike, but the ball hit him in the leg, back leg. Cabrera thought it should have been a check swing hit by pitch. I get my base. Gorman thought otherwise. Uh, after, you know, not much really happened then. No, Cabrera complained. That was that. He took, you know, then the, another pitch hat went down. And then he had tossed Cabrera, uh, for, and he didn't show him up. I think that's the, what got everybody going with this. It wasn't like Cabrera turned around, started yelling, throwing his bat, you know, make it, going into the histronics we sometimes see. But what was really interesting when, after the fact, Jim Leland, uh, he uh, he told the media, he asked Gorman why he tossed Cabrera, and he wouldn't say why, but he did say that once he was told, he thought the ejection was totally, totally unjustified. Those are his exact words. So, Hookside, is there, what's your latest thoughts on the latest ump show in Chicago? This uh, It really does seem to be, I don't know if I want to call it an epidemic of umpires who seem to have either very short fuses or like to be the center of attention. But some of these guys really uh, uh, seem to think that – I don't want to say the game revolves around them, but you get the impression sometimes that they feel the game revolves around them. Well, you're sure starting to get that feeling. <laughs> yeah. This is the second time this year this has happened. 
you know, to Cabrera getting thrown out of the game in the middle of an at-bat for crying out loud for what, you know, we would say looking at it, he was not showing him up either time. Yeah. You know, and so that, uh, yeah, I kind of go, come on. You know, the umpires, they work for the for MLB, mm-hmm. not the other way around. They they have got to have thicker skin about this stuff. They can't be, you know, that that kind of a zero tolerance policy. Just I don't know that. Like you said, it's it's one thing if Cabrera throws his helmet and you know starts kicking dirt and spitting on the guy, you know, fine, yeah. kick him out. But what really is the purpose in throwing him out of the game? Um, you know, at that point, and I think I heard Dan Dickerson say the next night, and I totally agreed that. Uh, he, he needed to have a, a more um, demonstrative warning given, yeah. I think. And I, I, th- I thought I read somewhere that Gorman said he did give him a warning. Cabrera disagreed, you know, mm-hmm. and said I, he didn't tell me anything. Um, you know, I think in that situation, if you're going to throw out the best hitter in baseball, you know, that that, that needs to be a, a very obvious, you know, the manager needs to be alerted, you know, hey, get control of the guy. You're going to get thrown out. Kurt, you think there's anything to this uh, um show stuff? Or are we making too much of the uh, umpires who think the game revolves around them, or the game can't take place without us? Or you know, uh, for all the for all the cowboy Joe West and, and those types, for the most part, umps seem fairly level headed. But it does seem to be there's a growing uh, population of umpires who really seem to have a short fuse and won't. Uh, I'll just put it this way: I remember watching ball in the '70s and. If Billy Martin and Earl Weaver were around today, they would get tossed five times a week. Well, you know, I, I think you really have to look at this, and again, the gray area we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. You're talking about guys who have to put up with these oversized personalities, these, mm-hmm. these guys getting paid, some of them 20 or, you know, around $30 million a year for, for their services. These it, we talk about how hard it is for managers in the clubhouse to keep all the personalities in check. And those guys are on the same team. Well, the umpire is out, you know, on his own world away from it. So he really has to work to make sure he keeps the respect and he keeps control of the people playing baseball. So I, I, I understand how an umpire would say, hey, I, you know, if you're, if you're making me look bad like this over and over and over, it's going to look bad for the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, and people are going to say, "Well, Cabrera gets calls because he's intimidating the umpire," and that's not good for the game either. So uh, I, I think we we go overboard with the ump show. Some guys rub me the wrong way, you know, and, and some guys are a lot more professional than others, and that should be the goal for everybody. But to to say, you know, I I don't know what Cabrera said to Gorman, and he, and again, like we mentioned, there apparently was a warning before that he got ejected. So. Cabrera has to just bring it down a notch. You know, he, maybe he's frustrated, maybe he's tired, may, you know, I don't know what it is, but he, he, he's not quite, he, he's acting a little too much, you know, a little too big for his britches compared to the Cabrera we normally see. And I, I think he has to tone that back as well. Yeah, I think that that's a good point that as, as upset as we all were over what, over Gorman's actions, uh, Cabrera does need to walk a fine line, and for that matter, I guess the Tigers do as, too, as well, because they do have caught kind of a rep this year of getting into it of umpires, and you know they'd have to be dumb to believe that it doesn't cloud their view at least a little bit, knowing that the Tigers have a reputation for getting into it with my uh, compadres in blue, and uh, you know I'm going to take you know and go and take that as what it's worth. So, well, I think you'll see Cabrera take a much 
care, more careful stance. I hope now. so. Yeah. Because I, I tell you what, I saw the one quote. The only place I saw it was in the Detroit News. Free free tag pitch there. Um, but he, there was a quote in the news where he said, uh, let me just grab that. He said, I'm in shock right now. I don't know what to expect the next time. I don't know what I have to do the next time. Mm-hmm. So I think he's probably a little bit rattled by this now and saying, you know, good grief if that's enough to get me thrown out. I, I think we'll see him be a lot more careful now. I hope so. I hope so. Because uh, uh, God forbid this happens in a playoff game. I guess that's, uh, what, that's the big fear at this point. So. Uh, hopefully, saner heads will prevail. Bad calls happen, unfortunately. You know, bad calls happen to good people. I guess is the best way to put it. And sometimes you got to roll with the punches. All right, now we're into the controversies part of the podcast, as we start kind of winding things down. The biggest controversy in Detroit over the past week or so has been the singing hot dog man, aka Charlie Marcus. Obviously, if you've ever been to Comerica Park or if you've listened to a game on the radio or watched a game on TV and had the volume up, you heard him singing his. You know, hot dogs in an operatic way, even though it has been cut down somewhat over the past few years, because he really doesn't do it during play anymore. He does it between innings. He was doing it between innings, you should say, because he was fired, I believe, last Friday. And, you know, either he's beloved or despised. Again, there doesn't seem to be much gray area when it comes to him. Uh, either you loved what he brought to the game or, you know, he felt that he added to the fabric of going to a game at Comerica Park or he either just pissed you off because you like silence or something. Uh, regardless of that, he was fired by Sports Service, who handles concessions at Comerica Park. Reports now say, though, it wasn't because of his singing or some issues the Tigers had with him or anything like that, because if, there, if it was, he would have been fired a long time ago. It, what, what's going on, it seems like, at least as to what we're hearing from the media now, Kurt, is that the singing hot dog man was fired for his anti-catch-up views. He's an anti-catch-a-bite. Well, you know, he is. <laughs> uh, I Here's what I, you know, re, outside of that, but, you know, he, here what I hear is, you know, he, he's fun for a lot of fans, but yeah. I, I hear some took him the wrong way with, you know, with his, his anti-catch-up ways, and he could have a bit of an attitude. And he, like Cabrera, it seems that the singing hot dog man might have been feeling a little too big for his britches as well, and mm-hmm. sometimes didn't treat fans, you know, the way maybe they should be treated. So uh, I I I think it went beyond the, the singing. I, I, and you know, even following him on Twitter, you, you, you know, he he's gotten in trouble before, and he he he's outspoken, and he's probably. You know, he's probably somebody who they just decided, well, he's famous, but he, this just isn't in our best interest anymore, and we have to move on. Well, let me ask you this, Kurt. Do you think it's just an act, or is he a little often eccentric? I wouldn't be surprised if he was a little eccentric, but I think there's a little bit of creating a character in everybody, too, you know? Yeah. Brian Kenny of, of MLB Network, do you think he is insanely against the wind as he acts, you know? Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but it, it, there's part of creating, you know, that little persona, that hook that people associate you with. And especially here in the Internet age, you have to have a little hook. And I, and I think, you know, being anti-catch-up was probably a little bit of that hook for, for the hot dog, man. Yeah, uh, and by yeah, the kill the win, the hashtag, that has become Brian Kenny's rallying cry. And once again, it's uh, causing a schism between the uh, Fans who like traditional stats and the sabermetric crowd. But, again, uh, we'll, we'll get into that one of these other podcasts. But, yeah, I think there's something to that, Kurt, that uh, 
but it does seem a little over the top that I can understand a kill to win. I can't understand a kill to catch up. That, I guess that might be just me. But you know, I, but even though I am on his side, I only use mustard on my hot dogs. I am not a ketchup on my hot dogs guy. No, uh, no, as some people call it, the devil's use. I, I won't go that far because I do like hot ketchup and lots of other things. Regardless of that, hook slide. Where do you fall on the singing hot dog man controversy? Uh, can I sing all of my responses? If you want, please for, do. For part, just in honor of Charlie, just to say, I feel bad for the <laughs> hot dog man. Uh, boy, that's enough of that. Yeah, that was uh, that was hard on the ears. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Stick to humor, stick to sports, right? No, uh, you know, I, I have a couple different takes on this. Uh, one is that I, I don't like vendors, period. Yeah. Uh, they are such a pain in the butt to me. Um, we I was at that, that game uh, over Labor Day when uh, they were playing the Indians, and uh, Justin Verlander picked off, who oh, was it, Drew Stubbs yeah. at first base. I didn't even get to see that because, I kid you not, there were five vendors up and down the aisles, and they were all kind of blocking the sight line. So I, I don't really like the vendors anyway. But from a more you know humanitarian standpoint, yeah, I, I feel bad for the guy for getting fired, and I – you know, it shouldn't have been over his what I will call his shtick. Yeah. I think you got to have that. That 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 helps your sales. That helps create the character. If you, you're in the vending business, for God's sakes, absolutely do all of that. Um, have either of you guys ever heard of a place in Chicago called Ed DeBevick's? Not familiar with it myself. Okay, it's it's a restaurant there in Chicago where that's actually their thing. All of their waiters and waitresses uh, will harass you. Uh, through your through your entire meal, and you know, call you names and make life difficult, and you want to send something back, and they'll, you know, what's the problem, baby? You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's what 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 he was doing with the with the ketchup shtick. You know, I don't think there was anything serious behind that. It's just it's all in fun. So if that's really why he got let go, oh, that's that's really too bad. I mean, that it's that's just his shtick. I'm sure. Yeah, no, that's that's usually what I have with it. Just in that, I've had a handful of. Uh, uh, interactions with him at ball games, you know, buying hot dogs and things like that. And I thought it was funny. It was fun. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I thought the anti-ketchup thing was just, as you said, just a, this is something that, you know, maybe a conversation starter, you know, to, you know, to talk to fans and, you know, if you, he wouldn't give you ketchup. He would just give you guff for giving ketchup, which is no, what's the big deal about it? It doesn't bother me that much, but unfortunately there is a segment of this population who doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. But uh, it was working for him. From everything I've read, he was one of the most productive vendors at Comerica Park when it came to selling hot dogs. So uh, regardless of all that, you know, that's hopefully maybe one of the other teams in town will pick him up. But it all depends on uh, if it's sports service who runs their concessions or not. I have no idea who runs concessions for the other for the uh, other three teams in town. So, But we, I, have, I, I have a feeling we have not heard the last of the singing hot dog, man. All right, speaking of, well – Pissing people off, and well, in this case, breaking several unwritten rules. We got to talk a little bit about Jose Fernandez, the uh, guy who's pretty much a lock for the uh, Rookie of the Year in the uh, National League. He's had a great rookie year uh, pitching for the Marlins. Well, he had his final game this week. They're going to shut him down. Uh, you know, but we had around 170 innings, so this was it for him. And in his final game against the Braves, he hit a home run, watched it clear the fence, flipped his bat. For some reason, he spit near third base, pissed off Chris Johnson, the third baseman of the Braves. Uh, he had a, got a stern talking to from Brian McCann at the plate of the Braves, and of course, bench is empty. Uh, after the fact, Fernandez issued an apology and a very sincere one, as both sides said stern things about uh, being professional, 
and not showing up the other team, so on and so forth. It really seems like the only folks who didn't enjoy his antics were the Braves. Everything I've else I've seen, especially when it comes to fans, they were of the belief that you don't want to get shown up, don't give up a home run to a rookie pitcher. You know, personally, I, I thought it was hilarious. You know, maybe there was a little, it was a little over the top, but I don't know how you felt on this, Kurt, but this unwritten rule crap seems to get broken all the time and people get their noses out of, out of shape about it. And it kind of uh, drains the fun out of the game. If the Braves hadn't done something to him first, I would I would think that he he was in the wrong. But you know, after what the Braves did, I can see him getting a little pissed off and you know, yeah. giving him a little f you back. So I guess I guess in that way it's okay. Well, what's your take on the unwritten rules of baseball in general? Oh God, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, what. If you if you do something in baseball and violate the unwritten rules, you know all the people who are fans of other sports talk about it like it's ridiculous. If you do it in the NFL, they just throw a penalty play, yeah. and everyone says, "Oh, that's fine," and moves on. So I I think just yeah, it's time to get past the unwritten rules. If you if it's been an unwritten rule for a hundred years, just write the damn rule down. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, don't bunt to bring up a no-hitter or uh, don't steal a base when you're down more than five runs. Uh, you know, some of these do seem a little, little, little petty, if you ask me. Folks, what's your take on uh, Fernandez's antics? And uh, do, you, do you think that this unbro- breaking unwritten rules, uh, uh, well, it, 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 he, he was unprofessional in doing so? I, I don't think so. I mean, how, how do you classify that as unprofessional? I, I watched the tape and I laughed. I thought yeah. it was great because here's, you know, like you said, he's a kid. He's 21 years old. He hits his first home run, you know, and and he, he didn't do anything close to what, you know, Guillen did to yeah. Jared Weaver. Yeah, he made it stood there for a couple seconds extra or whatever. And the whole thing about spitting at third, I didn't see anything intentional mm-hmm. in that, anything that you know, he was trying to, to – uh, send a message or anything like that. I was kind of disappointed that he apologized after the fact. Um, this is not the first time this has happened. You know, mm-hmm. it was what, just a few games earlier that, uh, uh, who was a Bryce Harper. Yeah. Did, did that. And then he got hit, you know, hit by the next pitch. Um, cause the Braves took issue with him, you know, pimping the home run trot as they say. And yeah, I, I think that just, that kind of makes me really not like the Braves a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely of the opinion. If you don't want to get shown up, play better baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the general consensus from the fan base and most of the media. It's like, uh, you know, you don't want this to happen? Well, don't let it happen. That's, you know, that's the issue. So, regardless of that, I, personally, I'm with you because I just thought it was hilarious. It really was. And uh, there's a there's a good post that covers all this unbro- these unbroken uh, rule things at uh, SB Nation's uh, Baseball Nation that uh, it has a, absolutely a hysterical picture of the teams uh, milling around by, you know, pushing and shoving by the, uh, by first base. And there, and you can see Hernandez off to the side with what they call the best, uh, I don't give a shit face ever. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Yes. And, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. a great face. Uh, and that kind of brings us to, which um, hooks I was alluding to, uh, alluding to was what teams do you hate? Because a lot of people, when this went down, well, uh, they admitted they don't like the Braves for numerous reasons. You know, probably going back to the, uh, to the 90s where they were the elite team in the National League and yet they could only win one World Series. Regardless of that, 
there's a, there, we all have teams we don't like, maybe even teams we hate. You know, obviously the Yankees and Red Sox are obvious candidates for most people for obvious reasons. You know, either the Yankees and the way they spend money, or the Red Sox and having an obnoxious fan base, or for the Yankees and Red Sox, pretty interchangeable at this point. But let me ask you guys: Is there any team that gets your blood boiling that uh, ticks you off? But uh, Kurt, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to hold something against the Giants. The Giants? I don't, I, I don't care if they seem all cute and innocent to you because they're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the defending World Series champions. They took it from the Tigers. I'm going to hate the Giants. <laughs> and Hookslide, what about you? Well, first of all, I like the Red Sox. So you can count me right out of that group that <laughs> is supposed to hate it. I have liked those guys ever since I was a kid. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, 86 was a really rough year for me. Um, but in, in terms of other teams that are not the Red Sox or the Yankees, the obvious picks, um, it, it's really too bad that I feel this way, but all because of Jared Weaver, I can't stand the Angels. Uh, and it, it's probably that not fair because it's just the one player, you know, that I, that I really take issue with, but I, I can't stand them. And, and the fact that they, you know, have been killing the Tigers yeah. recently. Yep, and I'll go. I gotta go with the Twins just because of 1987. I will never get over that playoff series. Ever. Amen. Yeah, the Tigers were the best team in baseball that year. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the Twins sucked that year. Got in the playoffs, uh, barely over 500 record, and then they had those obnoxious whistles and and towels and crap, and oh, it was. And plus that that fucking stadium. God, I, I'll, if I ever go to Minnesota, I'm going to dance on the grave of the Metrodome. I will. Seriously. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm that, I'm that pissed at the Twins. All right. With that, though, uh, we're going to start wrapping things up. And we have to let Kurt go because he has – well, he's going to talk with real media instead of podcasters. So, uh, Kurt, is there anything you'd like to add before you, call the, uh, before you move on to your next media appointment? Kurt, uh, hook slide and I, uh, and I will wrap things up, so we'll let you move on to uh, what you need to do and, and, and make sure you pimp bless you, boys. All right? I appreciate that. <laughs> See you guys. All right. Bye. All right, hook slide. It's just us now as uh, Kurt has to, uh, no, he has to do something with Fox Sports. What it is, I don't know. All I know, he had a 415 appointment. We had some audio issues in the middle of this that kind of delayed us. Regardless of that, let's wrap it up. So, Time for final thoughts. Anything you'd like to add that we haven't covered, Hook Slide? Now's the time. Um, I was just going to sing some more, but I guess I'm not going to do that because <laughs> Kurt stole that. And, yeah. yeah I mean, what exactly did he sing? It just sounded like a, a howling. Uh, well, that's all the hot dog man ever did. Yeah. <laughs> now I kind of want hot dogs. So <laughs> that's, that's where this is headed. Uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe one topic that's been kind of on my mind is just the uh, the offense in September. Yeah. And I... I hope this is just kind of a weird stretch of baseball for the Tigers, but with, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera hitting something like 140 or 135 somewhere in there, uh, Torrey Hunter is in the same range, 150, 160. Uh, boy, we, we need, we need uh, better bats than that yeah. in this, in this final stretch. Well, if there's, uh, I'll throw this out there. If there's, if there's at least one bright spot is that uh, Prince Fielder's bat seems to be picking up and with Cabrera injured and not hitting that, it's really is going to fall on Fielder and Martinez to kind of pick up the slack while uh, Cabrera uh, gets his act. I won't say get his act, I would just say maybe works through his slump. But I think that's a good sign that Fielder's coming around because he was god-awful in the playoffs last year. 
yes, the the two of them together yeah. were just kind of a disappointment. So was Johnny Peralta for that yeah. matter. Yeah, good point. But uh, Fielder, yeah, you're right. Last, uh, what was the for the month of September? He's somewhere around 400. Yeah, in his batting average, and surprise, surprise, so is Alex Avila. Yeah, that, that's something. Yeah, people have not. I, I'm, I mentioned that in one of my recaps that for all the people who are yelling, Alex Avila can't hit. He's he's pushing like a 900 OPS in the second half. Obviously, that, the sample size is a little bit smaller because he missed a few weeks with his uh, uh, with the concussion. But Alex Avila is starting to is hitting like over the last several weeks like the play was a couple years ago, and that bodes very well for the Tigers. You're very much right on that. Absolutely. Hitting 462, I just looked. 462 in September. I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but, you know, just looking at the last couple of weeks and saying, you know, they, they had a bit of a rough stretch there. A lot of that was, you know, you could blame the offense for it because the pitchers seem to be doing a really good job. But, uh, yeah, with, with Avila heating up a little bit, Fielder heating up, that those are all good signs. We just yeah. need to get Hunter and, and Cabrera. Oh, Hunter back. looks awful right now. He really does. Very strange, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm not sure what, what's he, going well, on there. Well, he's been but. very, very streaky. If you look at his splits, he's scary streaky. He had a couple. He's had a, a couple of god awful months, and he's also had a couple of great months. Uh, uh, maybe actually, I'll bring it up. Yeah, because he, in July his OPS was over a thousand, one point oh seven four. September his OPS is three eighty four. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. So, and do, do you know when it started? It was. It was after his walk-off yeah, home run against Oakland. Exactly, he went. He's for, been in the toilet ever since. Yeah. So, yeah, but he, then again, he's been like that all season. His splits are really, really odd. Uh, he had a his OPS was over 900 in April. It was under 700 in May, uh, and and in June, July he got smoking hot. He was in August, and now he's back in the toilet. So, oh, I know it, it sucks getting old. I guess that's what I can no. say about Tori Hunter. But. My working theory is that maybe after he hit that home run, he thought the season was over. So yeah, well, a lot of us kind of may, maybe did. <laughs> right. He probably isn't alone in that. So if somebody would just tell him that no, there's still a couple weeks left to go, then maybe he'll he'll come back around. Yeah, well, let's hope so. But uh, if he's going to do it, now is the time because the home stand starts tonight, and that's uh, really this week. In our next podcast, we could be talking about. Serious plans for the playoffs because of uh, this. Maybe what happens over the next week, and I hope so. Because uh, at this point, though, all I'm hoping for is that the Tigers don't get swept by the Royals, and then I'll worry about everything from there. Don't even say that. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I'm just glad they're done playing them after this weekend. Absolutely. And if Kurt's prediction is right that they wrap this thing up Thursday, then when we do next week's podcast, we'll actually be talking about. uh, the division series. Yeah, I thought he was a little optimistic with <laughs> that, but uh, you know that would mean the Tigers would have to go uh, on a winning streak, and the Indians would have to start losing every game. But you know, hey, anything can happen. But yeah, there's not going to be a collapse, people. I don't not, I do not see that happening because Rick Porcello is an ace now. In case you didn't know, hey, he he has been doing phenomenal. Yeah, so just just last a little bit. That we can't, you can't knock Kid Rick. Yeah, you know, and that's funny. For a lot of the players that people have been ragging on for most of the season, they suck or they need to be TFA'd. Alex Avila and for and Rick Porcello have really stepped up their games as of late. They really have. With that, yeah, and with that, I think we need to wrap up the podcast. So, uh, so obviously, we don't have Kurt around to say anything goofy. I think I think he did. Yeah, no kidding. I'll have to find a way to maybe move that to be. Uh, I'll get that singing into the, into the introduction. Wow. All right. With that, uh, folks, I work and they find you online. 
Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter um, at Cabrera's Corner. And as of a week ago, you can find me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash hookslide.byb. Oh, well, let me ask you, have you ever done a hook slide? Have I ever done an actual hook slide? An actual hook slide. It was one of my favorite slides. Really? Yes. Uh, God, I remember practicing those in the, back in the 70s when I was just a young wee lad playing Little League. So, No one hook slides anymore. You're right. That's, that's no, I, I coached my son's Little League team this year and, and tried to teach all the kids how to do the hook slide. Yeah. And uh, you know what? None of them even bothered to try during the season. It was awesome. Nobody would even attempt a slide after that. So. I guess it must have been interesting to see him try to attempt a hook slide. <laughs> Missing the bases, falling five, sheet, five feet short of the bases. It was great. God, that's, that sounds like a YouTube viral video in the, in the works there, so you didn't remember yeah. that. <laughs> right, regardless of all that, you can find me on Twitter at BigLBYB and, of course, pretty much daily at BlessYouVoice.com. All right, with that, let's call it a podcast, or in this case, an afternoon. So, until this time next week, this is Al Beaton saying good night, good luck, along with Hookslide. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. And... Uh, Kurt mentioned he he might be busy singing next week, but he'll probably be here too. <laughs> Until then, uh, we will uh, make sure to auto tune Kurt on the next Bless You Boys podcast. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.